Welcome to Cannabis Data Science. Fabulous start to the year, crunching a lot of data, working on a lot of cool cannabis data related projects. Definitely want to get you all involved today. That's why I'm going to share with you one of the largest data sets of lab results out there. It's nicely curated, fresh for statistics and you to peruse. I'll give you a quick take and then give you a bunch of ideas for projects that I'm working on. It's a meetup after all. So just want to give you all a chance to share what's on your mind and what projects may be at hand for you. Candice, I'd love to get you involved in some of these projects coming up, especially testing. Testing is a big thing at hand. However, I'm curious, what are you interested in at, at the start of the year? Any cool projects on your mind? Any questions that you'd like to answer? Well, um, let's see. I have been, uh, I do have my Massachusetts Cureleaf uh, uh, COAs. And so I was uh, looking at uh, Keicha Lab and, you know, I, I'm, I'm, re I'm using Canlytics. Uh, and so there are like some assumptions like with Keicha Labs that uh, it's going to be at an address that's different from Massachusetts. So I'm just kind of looking through that. And um, I'm also using Spacey NLP to, you know, for name uh, to uh, get the entities and, uh, so I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at. I, I mean, I have steep hills, you know, various pages also. Right. And um, so I'm wondering if I shouldn't just be looking for the number of pages, then grabbing the lab, then just grabbing the address and everything on the COA, not necessarily assuming that something's going to be a certain address. But so I've just been kind of playing around with that. Thank you, Keegan. Ooh, this is phenomenal. So Sneha, what Candace is talking about is and this is actually relevant today samples for cannabis go through quality assurance testing they get tested for cannabinoids a certificate of analysis is issued and in states like washington state the public is permitted access to these certificates so that's why it would be phenomenal if you could go into a retailer and know right off the bat what are the cannabinoid percentages in this product are there any contaminants and any other cool details like who was the producer who tested it in case you wanted to follow up with the lab for for some follow-up questions so all of these are pertinent details just it's trapped in in these pdfs so we created this tool coa doc to basically parse out the data to the best of our abilities using any tool and cleverness that we can think of that's cool i didn't even know that data was publicly available exactly it depends on the state cannabis the cannabis industry well the cannabis regulators have made an effort to to emphasize transparency in the market because this is federally not permitted so the states wanted to be transparent about what they're doing, how they're regulating it, get the information to potential consumers. Now, I did put in a Freedom of Information Act for both uh, Massachusetts, where I reside, and uh, Florida, where I reside a few months in the winter. And um, 
they have 10 business days to respond via writing and um, I guess her Freedom of Information Act law that has expired, but um, also too, my mail may need to get from Massachusetts to uh, CCC over to Florida where I am now. And then, uh, you know, but once I'm hoping that what I'm asking for is I'm asking for the exact same data that the state of Washington provides, um, pesticides, uh, COAs, uh, some SOP uh, type of uh, knowledge that uh, Keegan has just uh, done amazing work with. So I'm hoping that Massachusetts and Florida will follow and then other states. Well, I, I can help on that effort. And welcome to the group, uh, Amelie's. Just a heads up, we are recording just to save for future sake in case we think of anything interesting. Gotcha. No worries. Thank you. We're, we're basically, we're we're talking about you know what publicly available cannabis data is there well cannabis goes through quality control testing ideally for the consumers and in medical states the patients so it seems logical that you know they should have access to it and in certain states they explicitly do and so we're capitalizing on that so i think there's washington state and i think there's a total of six where you're definitely allowed to get the certificate certificates of analysis it's just we just need to start slow and methodical and it'll lead into to one of the insights of the day and why are we after this data well to learn about cannabis and hopefully show you how you can draw insights from similar data sets the way i like to say it this data is so rich give any good data science uh, a chance to take a look and they'll probably walk away with a novel insight that no one else had thought about. So today I'm going to do a demonstration of that, share with you a really simple but interesting way that you can draw insights using just a small subset of the data. And you can now analyze the data and hopefully draw some insights of your own. It's a meetup after all. Sneha, would you want to say a word for yourself and what you maybe want to learn or accomplish in the coming year, especially cannabis data science related? Well, I'm currently um, in a master's program at CU Boulder for data science. Um, data science wasn't always my um, field of study. I graduated in um, physiology from CU Boulder, but um yeah, this was honestly <laughs> one of my my tests for a class to attend a meetup and learn some more about um, the field. So, and I thought this was interesting because um, I live in Colorado and weed is like a big thing here. So, um, I just wanted to learn a little bit more about um, uh, cannabis's relation with data science because I didn't even really consider it. So, I think this whole thing is pretty cool and. I'm willing to learn some more. I don't have much experience, but yeah. Phenomenal. Welcome to the group, Sneha. You're in for a Thank treat you. today. We'll, we'll definitely share with you, well, hopefully some cool insights, some cool ways to crunch data, and of course, the data itself. So threefold, you should walk away with at least some bit of value. Welcome to the group, Isaac. We're just kind of doing a quick round of introductions before getting into the data at hand. Before I let you introduce yourself to the group. Emily, uh, Emily's, 
um, please correct me if I'm mispronouncing your name, but please let me know if you'd like what, what you'd hope to get out of the group or learn here in the coming year. Yeah, so I look to just, I guess, uh, I don't know, I just stumbled upon the group um, and I am kind of new to data analysis. Uh, I'm in my last year of my BA, my BA program for uh, BI. Data analytics with uh, data analytics with uh, business intelligence. So, um, I just figured for good practice in a project. I mean, I like weed. I live in Washington, right? So, uh, you know, I just figured this would be a good way to dive into um, data science. So that's why I'm here. Phenomenal. And in fact, that's one thing that I thought was fun about when we did. We did a series of Saturday morning statistics, and I'll be uploading those throughout the, the spring. So you'll get a treat if you want to start catching up on those because it is cannabis after all. It, it's fun. And so it can be a fun way to learn about data science and statistics and the scientific method. Yeah. So it's so cool, cool to have you here. And you know, let us know if you have any particular questions or you know ideas. That way, we can pursue those further. Now, Isaac, we had a, a time mix-up last week, but back on track this week. Got some cool analyses. However, love to hear about some of perhaps the the work that you may have done, if, if you you may want to share. So happy to have you here, Isaac. Uh, yeah, of course. And uh, I see from the uh, chat that you shared a uh, data file with me. It looks like the Washington data, but compiled into a very friendly format for analysis. Is that uh, the file? Exactly. And this was what we thought was the value added. It was simply, and remember, we, it took us a while to get here. We had to diagram out the data and think about how we were going to merge it. This isn't anything fancy, and you could probably have gotten to the same results through SQL queries. But this was basically us chomping down around 43 gigabytes of the CCRS data to about, it's only about 20,000, uh, it's only about 20 kilobytes. So we went from about 43 gigabytes of raw data of course we're not looking at sales yet but we boiled this down to about 20 kilobytes of useful lab result data so yes you can go work with the raw data however if you just want a quick glance at the lab results then this is an effective way to to make the data accessible also welcome to the group yasha we're going to be doing a lot of analysis of well we're going to start with analysis of lab results and we're going to we're going going to use it in a peculiar way but in a way i'll show you how useful lab testing is um but before i get into that i i know that you know isaac and perhaps yourself were looking at the data so before i get into my my trivial exercise isaac you wouldn't want to share i mean you, you shared with me a figure i don't know if you're all prepared uh, to present or anything but you don't uh, have to uh, it's, uh, i'm happy to i mean we were discussing about the microbiome or uh, the eb measurements from washington labs and uh, i just put it into a 
uh, graph, and I think it'll be uh, interesting for us to all take a look at it and uh, yeah, see what the group thinks. Uh, I'll try to present my uh, screen. I love how you took this one step further. Essentially, we were just looking at detections. So last week, we were just seeing all the different pesticides that were detected. We hadn't gotten to the point of adding the limits. So I love that you actually did this because now this shows us not only the microbes detected, but also the roughly the, the percentage that falls above the, the failure limit. So I love yes. this. Yes, and that, and I understand this graph might be a little bit difficult to see what is it about. So I'll just go try to explain in my terms. Uh, what you see here are night plots each, uh, figure is associated with a number, uh, 2909, for example, 2910. Each is a uh, one lab. And x-axis is a log of uh, micro, uh, microbial detection. So 2 is 100, uh, 4 is uh, 10,000. And, uh, and, uh, and the y-axis, uh, because this is a histogram, so y-axis is just the density of data. Uh, for example, on the top left, uh, you see uh, there are uh, roughly 20 plus samples that are uh, that have a um, detection around ETH, uh, 10 to the power of three and all the way to uh, to the power of four. There has been around 20 samples in each of that uh, each bin, and the red vertical line. Quick yes. question. Are we looking at total failures right now, or is this a specific analyte? Uh, it's a specific analyte. It's uh, intrabacteria, and uh, uh, it's the type of bacteria you will find in uh, people's gut. Uh, one kind of uh, uh, straightforward way to explain it is just uh, poop bacteria. Um, and obviously, you do want to see um, a lot of that uh, in your flower and uh, here the results are all uh, well uh, well first of all i have filtered out all non-detections otherwise there'll just be a huge bar at say uh, zero or whatever is the detection limit and we won't be to see anything uh to, to the right because the detections are only a fragment of uh clean samples and here uh and the uh, red vertical line is the regulatory limit. Uh, that means any samples to the right of it, say for lab 11 on the, uh, the top plot, there is one sample, two, them, two samples, three samples that uh, failed uh, the test. So because their result is uh, uh, to the 10 to the power of four plus. So they failed. Two, two thoughts come to mind. I should have suggested this last week. One of the first analyses we did was just look at the, for say, residual solvents. We compared butane in Washington versus California. And we were seeing that there were concentrates that were making it to the shelves in Washington that wouldn't have passed California's quality control standards. So I wonder if something similar may be I wonder what, so for example, I wonder what your microbe detection limit is in Massachusetts. So for example, I wonder if 
some of these samples either would or would not make it to the shelves in Massachusetts? Is that uh, yes. something that you yeah. know? Uh, that's a, a great uh, question, and the uh, uh, limits actually differ uh, in some cases uh, significantly. Uh, and even entire testings, the state of Washington only require a testing intrabacteria, and uh, uh, while uh, Massachusetts require uh, four, uh, we require uh, AC, uh, the bacteria that doesn't breathe oxygen, and uh, uh, CC, coliform, and the most important, ESM mold. Uh, if a sample is moldy, it won't pass. And uh, also uh, EB, which is this uh, gut bacteria. Uh, and Washington State only requires uh, this one uh, uh, bacteria, one type of bacteria to be tested. So that's a very big difference to start with. And also in terms of limits, uh, it's also uh, different. Uh, I believe the EB, well, actually, I can't remember uh, the exact number. Uh, I think EB is uh, 10 to the power of 3 uh, versus 10 to the power of, of 4 here. And uh, in and for other screens, uh, 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 the um, residual solvents is more uh, obvious. For example, the built-in um, limit for Massachusetts is at 12 ppm, which is very, very low versus uh, 5,000 in most uh, states. Uh, but that's a rather a uh, uh, difference in regulators' approach to make uh, in making their laws. Two more questions, and then I'll get to my second thought. Mm -hmm. The first was, what exactly are the units here of the, the test value? So we've got the limit at four. So at four coliforming units, you fail. Okay, so that was yeah. the other thing that kind of jumped out is, I guess I'm curious about like the number of tests happening at each lab. So for example, you know, lab 11, it looks like it's a smaller lab. Yeah. So they may not be the most com comparative example. But for example, you know, it does kind of look like a, a lot of, a lot, for example, let me not to throw them under the bus or anything, but you know, at lab twenty nine twelve, you know, coincidentally, a large percentage are falling under the the four coliforming units, and so I think it'd be interesting to, I guess, compare the different labs to see if you know what what's sort of the the mean and variance at each lab, because this is where we were kind of talking about it wouldn't hurt to have a standardized method because if lab 2912 there may be not incubating as long as lab 2914 may have you know have a structural effect on their results is that are you kind of thinking something similar uh yeah 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 i mean uh it's definitely one approach but uh for me what's striking on this uh nine different plots is the change of behavior around regulatory limit. I mean, for a uh, normal bacterial growth, you would expect it to be a natural phenomenon, and, it, and it's going to be a nice curve. Rather, what we're seeing here are uh, kind of almost two populations or, 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 even, or even a cutoff around four. Uh, well, for example, lab uh, 
2914, uh, you can see they have a lot of detections just right below four, but above four, it reduced a significant amount. And you can just see uh, uh, on an intuitive level that uh, it's, it's not a result of a typical natural phenomena. And I think that's what uh, uh, it's very important uh, evidence for us to say that there are uh, potentially uh, fraud happening. I can see that, and just to just keep talking about different distributions, it also would look to me like you know perhaps Lab Ten has some sort of truncated distribution. It looks like they are just starting their count at like three for some reason, and yeah. then um, then Lab you know twenty nine oh eight their their distribution looks just entirely skewed to the left. Uh, um, yes. Uh, this is uh, well. Uh, this is different because labs use different methods and they have different uh, uh, limit of detection on the lower end, which is what I think makes a kind of uh, comparison of mean uh, rather difficult. Because in this type of distribution, the lower end will skew the number a lot, and if they have a different cutoff. That will change their mean, and it's, uh, it's so it might not be representative. I think below quantifiable uh, BQL wouldn't be there. It would probably be zero if it was to be put in a number. Yes. Right. So uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, there. Well, when you do a analysis when you try to find a molecule that's uh, of a very less amount from something there are usually from a chemistry perspective two thresholds one is limit of detection and one is limit of quantification so if there is uh, enough of a response of that molecule that we're detecting uh, okay that's above limit of detection so we know that there, there are uh, some of the molecules in the sample but but there also is a gap that's between the limit of detection and limit of quantification if the response is although is there but it's not uh, of an enough magnitude uh, we won't be able to have a uh, conclusive count of uh, the the thing that they are trying to detect so for example, limit of detection might be three, limit of quantification might be 10. So uh, anything less than 10 above three will have a, uh, a result of, okay, it's above detection limit. We know that there is some amount of it in the sample, but we don't know how much. Uh, Yasha was talking about this uh, gap. I love that you compiled this data and analyzed it like this because this is where, remember, there's two sides of the market, right? There's the supply side and the consumer side. And, you know, the suppliers and are often really concerned about, so for example, a lot of the talk in the legislation is about batch size, like how big should the batch be? But this is a good perspective from the consumer side in that, wait, you know, before, before you start working on all of these other things, you know, maybe you know, go back and, you know, iron out some of some of the other analyses, you know, before they, um, you know, start 
Um, to long story short, there I don't think anybody is even talking about the labs testing microbes differently. So just so if you just you know mention this that hey it doesn't look like there's a, a uniform way that labs are measuring or at least the their outcomes are at, we think they look different you know could could you help uh, ex explain this or maybe maybe the lab should should focus on that so i think this is brilliant brilliant analysis i think if you want i could kind of if you're okay with it i may change gears and just sort of i guess extend your analysis by continuing continuing looking at these lab results and try to draw just a completely wild different um insight in a whole different realm in genetics um, and, and this is what's fun about this, right? So it's the same data set. Isaac and I are working on the same lab results out of Washington State. And here, Isaac's uncovered a structural difference between how the labs are, are testing microbes, which, of course, is has implications. And now I'll just sort of do, do a, a fun little uh, demonstration of another way you can look at the data. So I'm going to go ahead and take over the screen, Isaac. So just to give you a quick background, always just trying to pin my analysis somewhere in science and been really interested in genetics. So just here was uh, a, I'm always trying to replicate cool figures. And I've been wanting to do a timeline of strains for the longest time. You know, when did various strains come into existence? And we finally compiled enough data that we can do just that. We're not going to walk away with as cool of a figure as this, but it will be in the spirit of this morphology tree. Without further ado, we've got a bunch of lab results here. We've got just shy of 53,000. We've got 52,809. Just to start showing you, in fact, another cannabis data science member taught me this. Just start looking at the data. Just whoops. Um, here, let's look at this one first. Just start looking at the data, counting it, and that's a really good first step of understanding what's happening. If we just look at all the lab tests that were created. It looks like some of them were dated prior to 2022, and we've got them going through. I think we can find the the last lab result. So we, we know the last lab result occurred on December 12th. So we have data going. Sorry, I messed that up. We've got data going through 2022, December 2nd, and we have lab results that are dated to the beginning of 2018. So this makes me think that perhaps people were entering in old lab results when the CCRS was enacted, which was late November, early December of 2021. This is always a tricky part with data science, figuring out what's your actual timeline of analysis. One second, let's see if we can't make this figure a little bit bigger. We'll have to restrict to a timeline. I figured, okay, let's look at 2022. Well, as you can see, it's a little bit anomalous. 
And so I'll explain to you what I think is going on. And this is why being a data scientist involves pulling from many different disciplines. And one of those disciplines that I'd love to pull from is being a historian. So really, if you're a good data scientist, you should go back and try to find news bulletins that the Washington State Liquor and Cannabis Board issued. Because I'm, I was following them at the time, but I'll need to, to dig them back up. I'm fairly certain that people had a window for when they could start entering data into the system. So they may have said, okay, you have until the end of March to have all your data entered into the CCRS. So as you can see, between the big start of 2022 and April, you have a lot of data entry. So I don't know if this is representative of the number of lab results that are happening on a day-to-day -day basis. This may have just been people entering in a lot of historic lab results. So we may need to take that into consideration. But it looks like, okay, you know, it starts to stabilize around April. And then this may be your typical daily number of lab tests. So, so, so this is, I just love simple statistics. So a count is a statistic. And so this is just a count of lab results by day in Washington state. And you see, okay, you know, about a hundred samples are getting tested every day in the state. And as you can see, there's a little bit of a time effect, maybe a little bit of a lull during the summer and looks like things may be picking up in the winter. And just to, to kind of show you some cool things since it's a meetup after all, I realized what you can do is you can group these by month without too much effort here. So I think we may even just, yes, so you, that way you could find out the number of lab results that are happening per month, or I think you can even do per week, which, which, is, a, which is a fun, a fun frequency for predict, predictions. Uh, weekly is my favorite for forecasting. So this way you can see how many lab results are happening on a weekly basis. So around 500 lab results a week. Cool. Well, as always, I like to go micro. So we started aggregate. We started just looking at how many lab results were happening. Well, now I like to go micro. Um, and it's actually kind of funny that Isaac was just talking about microbes. Um, so we'll zoom in now on a particular strain, keeping it, keeping in mind that this can generalize to a bunch of different strains. And I just kind of want to see if we can draw some particular insights here. So for example, I keep talking about runts. So this was, rumor has it, that this was a strain that originates somewhere out of the San Francisco Bay Area. And so I'm curious, I was curious to start doing sort of genetic lineage tracing of strains and seeing how far back we can go. So we still have to do some of the really ancient stuff. Um, so going back to some of the early hazes. So I've got some cool history to share with you there. But I figured, okay, let's start with the present day of what we have. Just picking runts 
for no particular reason. You can look at all the different varieties of runs. So here I've just got a list of every different type of runs that's been grown in Washington state. So of course you just have just regular runs. You know, you've got white runs, knockout runs, pink runs, runs F4, runs and cream, your red runs, ripper runs, gelato runs. So this is really cool, right? So I would think like you could start to do lineage tracing this way. And the way I would do it is, okay, and this is uh, Yasha where I was saying, this is a really peculiar, interesting value added to lab results in that how do we know when a strain came about? Well, it could be when it's sold, but what if, you know, banana runts or ripper runts never sells? Well, I was thinking, you know, the first documentation that we have that banana runts exists are the lab results. And so this may be the first known occurrence of gelato runs. And so, yes, we may not be able to pin down runs itself yet until maybe we start looking at some California data. And then we could basically find, you know, the first known test of runs in California. And then, you know, you could find the first known test of gelato in California. Those ones are probably pretty old. But then you could say, oh, well, you know, here's the first cross of gelato runs. Of course, you know, other people in the country may have crossed this one. But, you know, I just think this is just an interesting place that we can begin. Enough of that. Let's just start looking at some, some figures here. So here's just the number of runs tests. So this is anything that has the runs in its name. And as you can see, we may not want to necessarily, and this is where I was saying the timeline selection is of critical importance. So for example, if you were forecasting the popularity of runs, well, first off, I would use sales. So I think we should eventually tie these to sales to see, you know, what's the total dollar amount of runs being sold over time. So this is just number of tests. Um, so it's a, a proxy for popularity. But, you know, if we were using this whole time period for prediction, we may forecast that, you know, runs is going to lose all of its popularity in 2023. But that may be because our data um, is skewed. There's measurement error. People were entering in old data. So if we were going to do forecasting, you know, we may actually be better off just picking, you know, the last six months or so. Just use the last, last six months of data and forecast the popularity of runs moving forward. Cool. Well, now here's what you came for. So this is essentially what we wanted to try to build. So this is the the model. So this is, you know, how we'll model the data. And I'll, the, the code is on GitHub. And I've found some people are interested in the code. So if you're interested in the code, go and paw through it. There's nothing fancy. And 
it's open source so you're welcome to pull from it and use it how best you please what's more interesting to me are the visualizations first i'll just explain the logic of what i've done and then uh, the visualization so we've got the beginning date and end date we know that we want to look at runs well what we can do we can get every lab test that contains the name runs and we can find the first lab result the first date uh, created date for each lab result for each of these varieties i mean i i've called this the genesis so we can see okay the soap in runs was first tested on may 25th 2022 you know apple fritter runs was first tested on december 13th 2022 there, there's going to be too many of them to to apply aesthetically there's 178 varieties of runs but i'm just going to plot a, a random 15 to get you an idea of what of what this looks like so here we have it so as i said it's not beautiful it's not the your typical phylogenetic tree but it's it's an effort so here we have a chronological order of when various varieties of runts were first tested in washington state so we see, you know, some of the, the more recent varieties, I think the pink runs, the golden runs, and as time goes by, we see, and this is where I was talking about the potential importance of this. Look at this. What was the first variety of runs tested in 2022? It was the greasy runs. And look at this. Shortly after you have greasy runts number two. And so I was thinking this, we were talking about patenting plant varieties. Well, one way you could say, well, I was the first one to have this plant variety tested. So we could actually find who was the first cultivator of greasy runts. And it turns out it was Red Ridge Farms. And then look at this, not shortly after, you have a producer of run, greasy runs number two, and it's a different cultivator, Sky Standard Gardens. So pr probably, well, who, who am I to conjecture? For, for all we know, there could be a, an intense rivalry between these, cult, between these uh, cultivators. And, you know, what, one may be sore that the other one stole the name greasy runs first. Because remember, these are getting entered into the Washington State traceability system. And I'm not certain if you can have unique strain names or if different people can have other strain names. But remember, we're, we're, our criterion is all about first tested. So it actually wouldn't matter if Sky Standard Gardens did test a greasy runts. It just matters who tested it first. So... This was just a fun analysis that I thought you could do. And, you know, and I was just going to demonstrate, you can have a lot of, a lot of fun with this. So for example, you know, we talked about wedding cake. So you can find all the different varieties of wedding cake. And for example, I was a big Jack fan. 
so you can find all the different jacks that people are producing. So Tahoe Jack, Jack Carrere, and Gelato. And then as I was saying, you know, we're we're trying to track down some of the hazes. So you can also find, say, different varieties of hazes that people were producing and just start to to get a timeline for these. So that that was sort of my main analysis. As I was saying, it's kind of just light and fun. We know that strain names at in and of themselves don't mean it's just a name at the end of the day, right? So as uh, as I was saying, right, uh, com two competing farms, maybe if you see your, your neighbor produce greasy runts, you know, the next week you've labeled something greasy runts number two and you go and get that tested. They may be chemically quite different. You know, greasy runs and greasy runs number two may be quite different. But if people, if uh, Red Ridge Farms makes a lot of clones of their greasy runs, then all of those clones, there'll be a slight variation, right? There'll be the environmental variation. However, all those clones will have the same genetics and will produce relatively chemically similar plants. I don't know, uh, just just something to, to think about, food for thought. But as I was saying, this this all comes out of this data set here where we just looked at one column. Well, here I used two columns, more or less. I used the date that these various lab results were created, and then I used the strain name so you know some strains are more popular than others however look at all of this rich data here i haven't even really touched on any of these lab results remember last week we basically just looked at okay what pesticides are we detecting well isaac took it one step further and now isaac's not only looking at microbes but isaac's also looking at if the value is greater than or less than the Washington state limit. So Isaac has augmented this data with the Washington state limits, which is phenomenal and has done a fruitful analysis. And so, I, as I said, I don't know how, how fruitful the, the strain analysis was. I think Isaac's analysis was super fruitful. So hopefully this has gotten all of your minds thinking about some, some cool ways that you can use the data. So I'm going to stop presenting and See if any of you have any questions, thoughts, or comments, and you're welcome to chime in. Ooh, I Yasha. thought that was fascinating. Oh, I have a bunch of notes that I took on it. Um, I still want to hog the microphone. Oh, please, please share any thoughts that come to mind. Okay, so the first one, uh, you showed a graph of um, the, the timeline for runs, and it seemed that there was uh, four strains that were tested within a couple weeks and then three months passed and four more which is a growth cycle away as in it's it's possible that the same folks grew four um saw the results and then decided to grow them again but the strain name slightly different be, differed between the first growth cycle and the second and my curiosity is whether through the data would be able to see whether um the change was Uh, was the yield not what they wanted? Was the potency not what they expected? Or were there microbiological 
problems, which is why they wanted some sort of change in the genetics. Or was it none of those and they just wanted to try out other stuff? I, I love how you're thinking, Yasha. You're thinking really like a good microeconomist because really you're going to have to to dive deep into this. So, for example, you may want to start looking at specific licensees. So, for example, look at Red Ridge Farms. And exactly, we the data is there. It's just going to take some heavy curation. So I think you can find the yield from, so you can basically calculate how much did Greasy Runs yield. Well, actually, that may be a certain batch size. So depending on how many tests they've done, we may actually be able to estimate yield that way. But we can probably, depending on the size of the cultivation, but long story short, you could probably find yield. You could also find sales. So maybe certain certain strains are selling better than others. And then you also alluded to, this is going to be a difficult web to unweave because right the, the varieties are cropping up all over the place. So, you know, we, we, and that's why I wasn't, this isn't quite a phylogenetic tree because it's not really saying that they're related. That's just saying when they occurred. So it's it's like who knows you know who knows if these are even coming from these same original runts stock clones or maybe there's some runts seeds out there and then as we know about seeds each seed will have genetic variants and then I need to learn more about and that and that's what I'm trying to do I'm trying to learn more about this is Sensimilia tips um, this old book on cultivation so I'm trying to learn more about standard cultivation techniques because exactly i'm trying to find out what is the the life cycle of these plants you know how quickly can you cross pollinate and create a new variety um, so these are all super interesting questions so i love love how you're thinking that's the purpose of the analysis after all and that's the point of the meetup group this was sort of a, a quick dirty analysis right if you're doing something for publication of course do or or for a business, of course, do do it much more rigorously. But this was just to sort of get your brains thinking about all the cool possibilities that are just just you know laying to be explored. Well, we've kind of reached the the end a little soon today. I know we normally go long. I may go ahead and wrap up a, a little early today, unless, like I said, there's still time for some more thoughts, comments, and questions. But I think we've covered a lot of ground and there's a there's a there's a I don't know who to credit but there's a useful tip that when you're giving a presentation or a talk that eh, it doesn't hurt to let the audience go five minutes early because and eh, people kind of appreciate you for that so th so that'll be one insight for the day and then the other insight was simply eh, you know it's better to start now than never and that was one thing that I was thinking about. Yes, we would love to be able to trace these strains back further, but we can at least start now. So now people in the future may thank us for starting to track strain origins in 2022. You know, now is better than never. So now we can, you know, start to piece out what exactly is descendant from greasy runs? 
Um, and the data is there. I think if you want, you can dig into, you know, was this greasy runs grown from clone or was it grown from seed? I think the data may be there if, you, if you're ambitious and you want to dig enough. But I think you're all awesome data scientists. So I want to thank you all. Thank you all for coming, lending your eyes, your ears, your brilliant minds. We're advancing cannabis science one molecule at a time. I don't know. I'm, I'm tickled with the progress that we've made. So, so thank you all. And, and hopefully we can keep the conversation going throughout the week and then rendezvous again next week and explore some more cannabis data.